You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. All right, so if you were here last week, the the text should be fairly familiar, but we are going to um, dive into it even a little bit deeper and maybe even from a different angle that perhaps we didn't see last week, right? So um, all of what is being said today is with the understanding and with the context of last week. And so if you weren't here, um, I would urge you to, to go back and listen uh, to the podcast because um, it's, it's really an important foundation uh, for where we are going this morning. But this is what Matthew 28 tells us, right? It tells us that the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and that when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And the reason that they doubted is because um, just a few short days earlier, they had seen Jesus crucified, right? And then this is what Jesus says to them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, last week I gave you kind of a a concise statement that I think is uh, faithful to wrapping up basically the entirety of the Bible in, in, in one sentence, and that is this. God's intent was always to have a people to himself, a people to whom and through whom he reveals himself. And so today, as we read through this, right, last week we talked about why Jesus has the right to even say that sentence, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. But now we're going to talk about the means by which he goes about accomplishing that thing that he talked about so much throughout his teaching, right? There's a word that, that for, for whatever reason, we end up sort of either skipping over or maybe because we don't understand it, but all throughout Jesus' ministry, he references this thing called the kingdom. He says, right, be, be, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand, right? Over and over again, we see Jesus repeat these words, and my hope is that as we look at this this morning, we'll begin to understand a little bit of what he means. So here's where we're going to focus in on. Jesus' words in verse 18, he says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now at first glance, right, it's, it's fairly simple in that, in that we kind of see and understand what it is that he's trying to say or what it is that he is so clearly saying to us. And yet this is where if we understand the, the context, not only of, of what he's saying, but who he's saying it to, um, the depth and meaning of what Jesus is saying here will become all the more clear. Because what Jesus is doing is he's, he's using kingdom language. You see, the disciples would have heard Jesus say this, and something in their head would have, would have clicked, it would have turned. They would have said, oh, I, I remember that. Because there was this wonderful moment where, where Jesus taught the disciples to pray. And, and I, think, I think many of us know the prayer. Our, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, Jesus is using 
kingdom language. And this is so important for us to understand because what he is going to go on to say in verse 19 is then what tells us how this kingdom comes to be, how this kingdom goes on to expand and become a reality. And that's where Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So here's what's happening. Jesus is addressing his disciples, right? It tells us that his audience is an audience of 11. Those 11 disciples that had followed him throughout the last three years of his ministry. And it's to them, it's to those who belong to his kingdom that he says, through you, as my disciples, as my followers, and with my authority, you will now go and make disciples of every nation. Now, why, why ultimately is this significant? And why can I make that statement that I made at the beginning, which is that we can sum up basically the, the Bible very simplistically, right? This is the TLDR of the Bible. God's intent was always to have a people to himself, a people to whom and through whom he reveals himself, right? We'll we'll go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, and and it should sound fairly familiar compared to what we we just read from Jesus' own mouth, right? This is at the the, the beginning of creation, God creates all things. God creates the man and the woman. And this is what he says to them. He says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So why is this significant? Why is not only his kingdom language in, the, in, in heaven and on earth significant, but why is this go and make disciples of all nations significant? Because this is Jesus saying that through the gospel that we talked about last week, that through his work on the cross, through his perfect life, his, his sinless death, his resurrection in victory over that death, that through that, Jesus is restoring humanity to its original task. That Jesus is giving back to mankind its dignity, its station, its nobility in the kingdom as ambassadors, as royal priests. And Jesus is now empowering them to accomplish that which God had always intended for his people to accomplish to make his name and to make his fame known to the very ends of the earth. So we've come full circle, right? We see very clearly that God's intent was always to have a people to himself, a people to whom and through whom he reveals himself. So why is this important for us, though? Well, Jesus and the apostles, as Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, were the foundation of the church. So church is not, right? Church is not just something that we kind of constructed in order to get people who think the same together um, because it's just kind of nice to be around people that we agree with. 
but that right now in what Jesus is saying, He is not only founding the church, but He is rooting the church in the creation mandate, which was to be fruitful and to multiply the image of God throughout all that we can see. So we belong now. We belong now to this kingdom, this kingdom of Jesus's, which is comprised of everything that is in heaven and everything that is on earth. And because we are a part of that kingdom, we are now under his authority. And so when he says, go therefore and make disciples, we say, yeah, of course. So we've, we've talked about, right, the, the mission state, statement of sojourn, which is that we together are joining the Father, Son, and Spirit in the historic work of redemption. And what we're saying by that is that Jesus, through his work on the cross, is operating in history to call his people to himself. And we trace our roots as sojourn, we trace our roots as the church to the very beginning of history and through the gospel narrative to the foundations of the church, which is right here. You and I, you and I sit here today, or stand in my case, because the apostles obeyed Jesus when he told them to make disciples. As the apostles made obedient disciples, those obedient disciples made more obedient disciples. And this is why we at Sojourn long to join the Father, Son, and Spirit in this historic work of redemption. So if you're wondering, like, you know, is this sojourn thing new? Is it novel? Absolutely not. We're not new. We're not novel. We are rooted. We are historic. Because the historic gospel of God is working through the historic people of God, the church. So, if the church is God's people and He reveals Himself through that people, not just to them, but through that people, what do we do? Well, Jesus gives us a pretty clear command, right? He says, make disciples. But how? But how? And I think that's a valid question. And, and we're going to spend uh, the next several minutes kind of diving into that, uh, answering that specific question. So what does Jesus say in 19? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And there's several things I want to draw out of this, and, and it's going to feel quick, so uh, just know that. But first, what I want to do is I want to look at two words. I want to look at go and make. Now again, surface level, like pretty clear what it is that, that Jesus is asking us to do, but there's some nuance, I think, that, that is greatly helpful for us in, in actually doing it and actually applying what it looks like to be a part of this making disciples. In the original language, go is a passive participle, which seems kind of weird, right? And that how, can, how can go be passive? But then make is an active participle. So you would think, right, you would think that those two things would actually be, be switched, like that the going would be the active part and that the make thing would just kind of happen as it happens, right? 
And yet what we're seeing from the original language here is that it's, it's the opposite. So what does that mean, right? Well, here's what I think it means, and I'm going to try to, to, to summarize it in one, one statement, and that's this. What this means is that we're less, we're less in control of where we live than we think we are, but we are in control of what we do where we are. And many of us, many of us are more focused on the former. You see, Acts chapter 17, verse 26 tells us this, that that God has not only ordained our boundaries in time, meaning He he knows when our life ends, uh, when our life begins and when our life ends, but it also tells us that He's ordained our boundaries in terms of space, like spatially where we live. He has ordained that boundary and He's done so for this reason, that some might seek Him and that some might find Him. So here's, here's what I'm trying to get at. There's some people who are, are here in Houston right now, and, and you can't wait to get out. You're like, man, I'm here for six months. I'm just doing this rotation at work, and then I'm out. It's hot. It's gross. Like, I'm here for the one day a year that it's great, but then the rest of it's terrible. And then there's some of you that are like, I'm never leaving Houston. For whatever reason, my body runs at like a cooler temperature than everybody else's, and this is just fantastic for me. And what I'm saying is that neither of you know what you're talking about. Because God will go to extraordinary lengths to get his people where they need to go. He will. If nothing else, go back to that story that... that, that, that's almost a, just a children's fable at this point. But go back to the story of Jonah and look at what God does in order to get Jonah where Jonah's supposed to be. He puts Jonah in the freaking belly of a fish and swims him to Nineveh. Because Jonah's like, nah, like Nineveh's not, I, I don't know, it's hot in Nineveh. The traffic's terrible in Nineveh. The people, the people are terrible in Nineveh, you know? Like, it's just, it's a, like a wash. I don't want to go there, you know? And God's like, no, you're going. You're going because I've ordained that you will be there so that some might seek him and that some might find him. And so here's the thing. You're not in control of where you go, but you are in control of what you do where you go. And so if if you've been asking the Lord, you know, and look, I know that this is very sincere and and I'm being somewhat insensitive right now, so just calm down. If you've been sincerely pleading, asking the Lord, God, like, what, what is my purpose? There's your answer. That's what you, look, you can do this whether you're making fries at Whataburger to the glory of God or whether you are making millions as a hedge fund whatever to the glory of God. But who you are, what Jesus has done in you, and what Jesus plans to do through you is the same for each and every person in this room. If you claim the name of Christ... This is your new reality, your new life. Old is gone, new has come. This is it for you. And so what would it look like to be a people that relinquish our our control over where we live and we're more concerned with what we did where we lived? So, if you are where you are, 
It's because God wants you to be there, and he wants you to be there because there are disciples to be made. And so as we are going, we make disciples. Disciple-making happens in the context of the ordinary, everyday life where we call home. So this, this gives us a, 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 a good, I think, foundation to understand why the neighborhood and parish is so important for us and why we organize those based more on location than, than affinity, right? So it's not like, okay, we have the, the cool hipster parish and then we have kind of like the parents parish and then we have the, you know, the teenager parish because nobody wants to hang around them, you know? <laughs> like, we don't do that. Because it's, it's, it's more important to be the people of God in a place than it is to be the people of God among, you know, everyone who looks, acts, and talks just like me. In fact, that's probably really unhealthy for us if the opposite were true. It's in the context of the neighborhood parish that we make disciples as we go, both of one another and of those who do not know Jesus. And this is also why events are not the backbone of everything that we do at Sojourn. Now, look, I... I'm not against events, right? Like, we do them. They've been wonderful. In fact, several of, the, of them have been incredibly fruitful. But it's not the backbone of what we do. Because as Jesus is instructing us here, and as is very clear from the way he phrases it, he means for us to be making disciples as we go. Not at 9.30 a.m. on a Sunday. Not even at 7 p.m. on a Friday every hour of every day, every waking moment, this is what we're doing. So, first thing he tells us to do is to make disciples, but then how do we do that, right? And this is what he says. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So what's the first thing that Jesus says? He says, baptizing them, right? And then the second thing that he says is, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. So here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a more colloquial way to say it, right? A more, uh, a, an easier way to understand it. Essentially what Jesus is saying here is you make disciples by introducing them to Jesus and teaching them how to live like Jesus. So let's talk first about baptism, right? It says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's, uh, there, this is a case where, where translation can, can not only be debated, um, but, but I also think it's, it's just, I stand on one side of it. I think it's a little um, less helpful. When it says baptizing them in, it can also be translated. And if you have an, a, an ESV Bible, you should see the, the footnote there. It could also be said baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And so that's, that's what I'm, I'm going to conclude that it says, um, not just because it's, you know, convenient for this point, but because I believe it's, it's, it's real. So if we are baptized into something, what are we baptized into, right? Number one, the triune life, like we see that. We're baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, that's... That is the refrain of Ephesians. Go read Ephesians when you get home today. It'll be good for you. It'll be awesome. 
But in it, you will see this phrase over and over and over again, in Christ. We are in Christ. If we are in Christ, then this is true of us. You are in Christ, so this is your reality. Made alive in Christ, over and over and over again, right? So when we are baptized, that's what we are saying, right? And then, of course, when we are baptized, we are baptized into the body of Christ as well, the, the community, this, this, this people, this new humanity that Jesus is forging, right? This kingdom. Let me, let me read to you from the Westminster Confession because it's a thousand times better than I can explain it. So this is what the Westminster Confession says about baptism. Baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament ordained by Jesus Christ not only for the solemn admission of the party baptized into the church, but also to be unto him or her a sign and seal of the covenant of grace and of his or her engrafting into Christ of regeneration, of remission of sins, and of his or her giving up unto God through Jesus Christ to walk in newness of life. I'm going to leave it at that. That's what baptism is. <laughs> so Jesus tells us to make disciples by baptizing them, by introducing them not only to Jesus and to the Trinity, but to the people of God. And to teach them to observe all that he has commanded. Now, this word teaching uh, in the original language connotes both formal and informal teaching. So again, our discipleship, our growth as followers of Jesus is holistic, meaning that it, yes, it happens on Sunday mornings, but it also happens throughout the week in your parish gatherings. And when some members of your parish go to the coffee shop or to the pub, it happens ongoing. So we're supposed to teach, right? But what is it that we teach? It says this, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So the content that we disciple with is that which Jesus discipled with, his teaching. We disciple people to and through Jesus. And this is super important. This is super important because what will inevitably happen, if you're new to Sojourn, you'll end up in a parish gathering and you'll say, I feel this, 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 and this, and we'll say, that's not true. And you'll be really offended because your feelings are ultimate. Nobody gets to challenge those, right? I mean, you feel how you feel. That's your reality. And yet what, what we're going to say is that, that our feelings are, are probably less dependable than the eternal, written, perfect word of God. And so if you're a Christian in the room and you're saying, I feel like God doesn't love me, we're going to say that's wrong, and here's why. Because God has proven his love for you in that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And now he's gracious, kind, and merciful to you and surrounding you with people who are going to remind you of that reality, of that identity. So, so this is why it's, we, we must take painstaking effort to ensure that in everything that we're teaching, we're not teaching, look, okay, if I were to get up here, if I were to get up here and give you Marshall's 10 tips to a better life, um, no, number one, like, just ask my wife. Like, 
I don't have a ton of good advice. <laughs> I really don't. Like, like, you know, I'll suggest something and, and she, because she's really kind and like wants to make me feel good about myself, will be like, yeah, sure, you go ahead and do that. And then, of course, we walk it out to its conclusion and she's kind of like in her head, I told you so. You know, that was a bad idea. Like, don't, you know, don't do that. So if I were to get up here and do that week after week for you, ultimately what would happen is that we would end up following me more than we would end up following Jesus. And here's the thing, that's not the church. It may be the the church of Marshall, but it's certainly not the church of Jesus. And here's the thing, Sojourn's not going to be the church of you either. Because we love you more than that. This church belongs to Jesus. It was formed by Jesus. It is saved by Jesus. It is sustained by Jesus. It is upheld by Jesus. It will be perfected by Jesus. And so here's the thing. We want to cling to Jesus. And we want to be together. Okay, so this includes me. We want to be together, taught to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. And here's the thing. That word observe, again, Uh, I think when we read it, it looks passive because it's like, okay, we just observe what Jesus has commanded us. Oh, yeah, I saw that. That's good stuff. Now I'm going to go do my own thing. But really what this probably should be translated as is, is obey. Obey. People obey Jesus' commands when they are baptized into both the, both into Christ and into Christ's body, and when they are taught his commands. That's what happens. Now, let me say this. This does not mean that we're perfect, right? Joseph said that at the very beginning of the gathering. We, we humbly and freely admit that we are an imperfect church, but it's our hope this morning that you will taste and see the perfection of Jesus. Well, This doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it does mean that we readily and eagerly acknowledge when we're not perfect, and we repent gladly because Jesus has been gracious to us. So here's the thing. I think all of us get kind of upset about that word repent, and all of us get upset about the idea that that someone would look and say, look, the way you're living right now is, is, is not in accordance with what Jesus has done for you. We're kind of like, stay out of my business. That's between me and God, and what, what I'm saying right now is that no, it's not. No, it's, it, it, it's absolutely not. And here's, here's where we get the freedom and the joy to walk in that kind of life together. Because if we believe that Jesus really did what he said he did, which was live the perfect life on our behalf, meaning, meaning what we've done and how we mess up um, has less to say about us than what Jesus has to say about us, then there's freedom to say, you know what? Like, yeah, you're right. I'm glad that you recognize that because I'm living an incongruent life. I'm not living according to the grace that Jesus has lavished upon me. And so freedom is taking ground in my life as people are telling me, this is what it means to obey Jesus' commands. That every step forward of God's word in my life is a march towards greater freedom, a march towards that place, that reality where we live underneath God's gracious, generous reign and rule together in perfection. And that's ultimately what the book of Revelation is all about. So how do we do this at Sojourn? And again, let me, let me say this 
um, I think, hopefully, that these first two points, right, are something that would generally characterize any church. So whether, whether you end up here or at another church doesn't matter to me so long as they can agree on those things, right? That Jesus has accomplished everything we need to and that now we extend the reconciliation, the peace that Jesus brings to other people. If a church can get behind that, that's a good thing. But here's how we do it at Sojourn. It's not the way, it is a way, right? So the mission statement is what we do. We join the Father, Son, and Spirit in the historic work of redemption, and the vision statement is how we hope to do that, right? And so the, the, the mission statement never changes. That's, that's the function. That's the reason that we exist. But the, the vision statement is, is movable, Right? It's just how we hope to do it. It's how we believe the Lord has organized us. And this is what it says straight from the website. We hope to see a family of multiplying neighborhood parishes, equipping the saints, empowering new leaders, and sending new parishes until each neighborhood is saturated with gospel presence. So let's define those terms a little bit more, right? What, what is a neighborhood parish? This is how we would sum it up in a sentence. The neighborhood parish is a smaller expression of the church as family. So here's what we're saying. If the church is the people of God, members of his family and one another, the people by which disciples are made as they go, then accordingly our neighborhood parishes are smaller expressions that gather throughout the week to make disciples of one another and of others. So here's what we're saying is that this context right here, right now is inadequate to fulfill, to live the life together that we're called to live for the name and fame and the glory of God. So we need one another throughout the week. So how do we organize that? We get people together and we call them neighborhood parishes. Super fancy, right? So if that's what a neighborhood parish is, why do we want to see these many gospel families multiply? Well, because we really believe that as parishes multiply, the very presence of God multiplies among our neighbors. Because if we believe what Ephesians 2.22 tells us, which, and this is what it says, it tells us that, that we are a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, then that means that as as we multiply and as we make headway into different parts of our neighborhood, different parts of our cities, different parts of our world, that the very presence of God comes with us. And so the visible, tangible reality of God is made known through his people. And so do we want that to multiply? Yeah, absolutely we do. Not just for the sake of having a church that is rapidly multiplying, but because the Lord is made known. And then it says this, right? So we hope to see a family of multiplying neighborhood parishes doing what? Equipping the saints. Equipping the saints to do what? Well, we talked about it last week, right? How do we make disciples at Sojourn? We build relationships. We expose those relationships to the Christian community. And we share the gospel in that context. And so our neighborhood parishes are geared towards that end, right? To equip the saints to do those things. 
to build relationships, not just with one another, but with those outside the church, to expose those relationships to the Christian community because in that community, they are being exposed to the very presence of God. And then we are sharing the gospel, which explains that supernatural presence that, that, that can't be explained apart from the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And then to conclude, right, again, why do we do this? As we live intertwined lives in these multiplying neighborhood parishes, the glory of God spreads to the corners of our street, our blocks, our neighborhoods, our city, and Lord willing, the nations. And this is what 2 Corinthians um, verse, uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 14 says. I want to read it for you. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Always. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. We are the aroma of Christ to God, to one another in the church, and to those outside the church. And as we disciple, baptize, teach, and obey together with Jesus' resurrection power, His name is made famous in every tongue, tribe, and nation. And we labor towards this so that the Lamb that was slain receives the reward for His suffering. That Jesus has all of His people, His people to whom and through whom He would reveal His glory. Let's be reminded of the gospel means by which God has secured the church for himself at the communion table. We're going to pray, and if uh, the deacons will prepare communion while I do that.